A few years ago, Marley Blonsky bought a bike as a way to get to work. On weekends, she'd adventure around the Puget Sound, taking long rides and bike camping with friends. She never would have guessed that she'd become a major player, a change maker in the cycling industry. Fast forward to 2022, and Marley's the co-founder of All Bodies on Bikes. It's a movement with the motto, all bodies are good bodies, all bikes are good bikes, and all rides should be celebrated. She started the project in 2020 with past guests and fellow body-inclusive cyclist Kaylee Kornhauser. The pair were featured in a beautiful short film, and they've been written about in some of the industry's most prominent cycling publications. Now Marley is traveling around the country, working with riders and brands to advocate for size inclusivity. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Marley, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I just want to ask you, like, how did you even get into cycling? And like, how did it become the thing where you were like, I love this and I want to keep doing it and I want to find a way to make it work for my life and just do it more and more and more? Yeah. So I think like a lot of kids in the 90s, I grew up riding my bike every day as like a fun thing to do. That was in Texas. And we would just all the neighborhood kids would get together. We'd ride to school. And then when I got into middle school, I kind of stopped riding. Um, I don't know if that was a function of becoming a teenager. You know, I rode the bus to school, which was kind of fun. And that's like where the cute boys were at to flirt with. Like they weren't on the bike ride. And so I kind of left bikes behind until I was 24 or 25. I was in a relationship and she absolutely broke my heart. We got divorced. It was horrible. And I moved from West Seattle, if you're familiar with Seattle, which is kind of car centric to Capitol Hill, which is like a mile from downtown. It's absolutely stupid to have a car and started to kind of reevaluate what I was doing with my life. You know, I was mid 20s, absolutely heartbroken. And I was taking the bus for like 45 minutes to work every day to go like a mile, two miles. It was an absolutely stupid commute. And so I had a friend who worked at a bike shop and I was like, Ian, you know, tell me about bikes. I want to ride a bike. That's what it looks like the cool kids are doing. And so it was quite a process to find one that fit me. You know, I'm five one on a good day <laughs> and my budget was limited. I thought, you know, $600, that's as much as I want to spend. And so we found like an old school um, steel touring bike for me that I loved. And now I look at photos and I'm like, that was way too big. And no wonder your back always hurt. But probably three or four months after riding that a lot, I guess upgraded to a more lightweight, modern bike. Um, and then from there, things just kind of exploded. I found a group of people that I rode with a lot. I got introduced to bike camping and like bike adventuring. So instead of just commuting or like just riding for fitness or whatever, these people were like, you know, going 30 or 40 miles to camp or riding 20 miles just for fun and then having a fire or going swimming. And so that's what really opened my eyes to like, this is a whole lifestyle. This is a whole subculture and community. And it's exactly where I want to be. That sounds so fun. There's a lot of people who bike to <laughs> coffee and, you know, other things in San Diego. So I've always thought that was really interesting. But bike camping, what's that? It's exactly what it sounds like. So um, it's very similar to backpacking where you basically take everything that you need on your bicycle and you ride to a campground and you camp. You know, there's 
a million ways to do it. There's like the hardcore bike packing where you're totally self-sufficient and you're out in the middle of the woods and you're going for like weeks at a time. Or there's like my favorite place. There's a place called Faye Bainbridge outside of Seattle. And it's you take a ferry ride and then it's an eight mile ride and it's right on the beach. Um, you can have pizza delivered. And so I don't know. I it's just it can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. Um, one of my favorite things used to be going camping after work and then being back in the office by 8 a.m. So you just take the least amount of stuff that you can, you know, you eat breakfast on the ferry, you have a fire, you sleep outside, and then you're back in the office as if nothing happened. But you had this epic overnight adventure and it was only, you know, 16 miles round trip. Connecting with a cycling community and adventuring on two wheels helped Marley heal from her divorce. As she got more involved in the sport, Marley realized that although she was enjoying herself, she struggled to find cycling gear that worked for her body type. In 2017, Marley was attending a cycling conference when she realized that a lot of the best gear wasn't even made in her size. When did you first realize the cycling world wasn't very size inclusive? So I went to this Women Trans Femme Bicycle Leadership Summit. They called it the WTF Bike Summit. This was in 2017, and it was in Whitefish, Montana, so just outside of Glacier. And there was, I don't know, maybe 100, 150 of us who all did bicycle adventuring. And there was all these conversations about equity and diversity and inclusion and, you know, making the table bigger to get more riders in and what does that look like. And I was maybe one of two larger-bodied people there. And so there was all these conversations and people were like, you know, what underwear do you wear on your long bikepacking trips or what bibs do you wear? And none of the things that the community was suggesting came above a size XL. So it became this like kind of aha moment for me of I'm going out and I'm riding with all these amazing people doing the exact same thing as them with subpar equipment. Um, And it was like both the proverbial elephant in the room of like talking about size inclusion, but also literally like my butt was just too big for this sport or that's what it felt like. And it was like, okay, this is something that I love. This is a community that I love. And yet I'm still feeling excluded. Like if I'm feeling excluded, there's gotta be other people who feel this way. And so that was kind of my aha. I could probably do something about this. And even in a space that is so, aware of limitations and barriers to access, nobody was talking about size inclusion. Okay, I want to talk to you about this because I just heard you identify as a fat cyclist, which is a bold word to use. So yeah. tell me what it means to you and let's talk about like, you know, body positivity across the spectrum in sport like cycling, which is really similar to running. Yeah, I guess with the starting with the big thing, I'm a fat person. I always have been. I use it as just like a neutral descriptor, you know, just like I'm five one. I've got short hair. I'm fat. Um, and if I take the value judgment out of that statement, it takes the power away from anybody else. It's just a simple descriptor. It's a lot easier to say than I'm curvy or I'm voluptuous or, you know, whatever it might be. No, at the end of the day, I'm a fat person. But, you know, when it comes to body positivity, I don't know that I'm body positive. I'm definitely body neutral. I don't know, you know, this is something I've come to recently because I think there's a lot of pressure to be body positive and to love everything about your body and to be proud of it. But sometimes I don't. Like 
sometimes when I'm on my bike, like my belly gets in the way or, you know, my body doesn't fit into the clothes that I would like to wear or that my sponsors send me. And so in that moment, I'm not necessarily positive about my body, but I can still appreciate it for what it does. So, you know, I get to the end of a long ride and I'm like, oh, I have all this chafing and I don't feel good. But dang it, I just did that really hard thing and I'm really proud of myself. So I think there's a lot of nuance in there. I put something up on Instagram the other day. It was a picture of the back of my legs. I've always been self-conscious about my legs. Even, you know, when I'm doing these really long, really cool bike rides and feeling super powerful, the back of my knees, I hate them. They are just my least favorite body part. And I remember being in eighth grade, my mom being like, hey, Marley, you got some new stretch marks. And I was like, oh, I had no idea because who looks at the back of their legs? Like, I don't. Yeah. But from then until probably last year, two years ago, I didn't wear shorts because I was so ashamed. Um, and now I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I guess I have nothing to hide, but I still don't like that part of my body. So this photo I put up on Instagram was a picture of me from behind. My butt looks really good, <laughs> but I still don't like the way my legs look. But I think it's okay to acknowledge that. And it like got like 6,000 or something likes, because I think people resonate with that of like, it's okay that we have parts of our bodies that, you know, they are what they are but they still do really, really powerful things. And it, my body does what I ask of it. First of all, thank you. It's cool. It's cool to hear someone talk about it like this and to say you can be nuanced. And I think all of us, like, it's, it's funny how, you know, a lot of us can struggle with it, mm -hmm. but our bodies can do amazing things. They can take us on bikes. They can take us in waves. Talk to me about how this plays out in cycling. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm often the slowest one climbing up hills or in a group ride. People are always like, I'm so slow. And then I'm at the very back of the pack. And I think it's just a question of physics. Like getting 250 pounds up a 5% grade hill takes a lot more efforts and a lot more watts. So I think just on like um, a practical basis, it often means, you know, the larger bodies are in the back until we get to the top of the hill. And then I'm flying downhill way faster than everybody else. For the most part, I should acknowledge that I'm what's considered like a small fat, a small to mid fat. So have you heard of the fat spectrum or body size spectrum? No, talk to me about it. So I guess similar to, you know, sexuality or gender, body size comes on a spectrum and there's different levels of privilege that come with that. Um, you know, I can fit into an airplane seat. I can, for the most part, be listened to by my doctor and not have everything blamed on my weight. But for folks in bodies larger than mine, they don't have that privilege. And that happens in cycling as well. You know, most bicycles I'm under the weight limit for, unless I'm going for like a super lightweight carbon race bike, then I'll probably be over the weight limit. Um, but body size plays a huge part there too. You know, if I weighed a hundred more pounds, I would be really limited to my equipment choices. So yeah, I think it plays out in clothing choices for many, many, many years, I rode in, you know, dresses and leggings because I didn't have cycling kit that was available to me. Um, now a couple of brands are making my size. And so I'm able to wear the, the fancy kit, but it still doesn't feel like me. You know, I, I wear it because I'm sponsored and that my sponsors ask me to, but sometimes it doesn't entirely feel genuine, especially because other larger bodied people don't have that same level of privilege. Once Marley realized that she didn't have access to extended sizes and cycling gear, she got to work. She reached out to Kaylee Kornhauser, 
another body-inclusive cyclist. The two decided to join forces and encourage everyone to get on bikes, no matter their size. In 2020, Marley and Kaylee presented at a national bike conference where they talked about cycling apparel and how it misses the mark on size inclusivity. From there, All Bodies on Bikes was born. How did you meet Kaylee Kornhauser, who was a past guest of this podcast? Yeah, we've met on Instagram. So around that same summer when I was in Montana talking about underwear and Kaylee was riding her bike across Alaska and she made an Instagram post about not having a rain jacket, you know, talking about doing this epic thousand mile ride with substandard equipment. And I was like, okay, I need to talk to Kaylee because we are, you know, we ride bikes the same kind of way for adventure and we're both having the same challenges. Um, So I reached out to her. I think I slid into her DMs and then we kind of hit it off from there. And it was like, let's do something about this. Like we both kind of come from like an organizer, um, community organizing background and neither of us are really content with the status quo. So the next year at that same summit, we gave a presentation and there were a bunch of industry folk there. The response from them was kind of like a wide-eyed, holy crap, we've missed the boat on this. Um, because, you know, the fact of the matter is the average woman in the U.S. wears a size 18. Like billions of dollars are just being left on the table. Not even talking about like how it makes people feel. Like the economics of size inclusion are wild. So we got that crazy response from the industry and realized like this thing has legs. We should do something with it. Oh, love it. So one wild idea led to another, which led to another, which led to you being able to quit your job and do what you do now, which is advocating for inclusivity and more people riding bikes. That is so badass. Yeah. I went from the corporate boardroom, not quite, I was occasionally in the boardroom, to riding my bike, living the dream. (laughs) Okay. I have so many questions. Back up real quick. Okay. So what was this event, this industry event that you guys gave this talk out? So we presented at the WTF Bike Explorer Summit. And from there, we were encouraged to apply to the League of American Bicyclists. They have a a nationwide advocacy and education group. Um, They have an annual summit every year. And so this was in the beginning of 2020. Um, We submitted a proposal for this conference and we're all set to go to Washington, D.C. And then COVID hit, which was kind of a blessing in disguise because instead of presenting to those hundred people in the room, we now had an audience of thousands globally. Um, so we we did our presentation virtually and then it was recorded and kind of lived in perpetuity. And COVID allowed us to do that. Whereas, you know, we would have been like at a library talking to like a local bike club with 20 people. Um, it really helped our impact just get absolutely gigantic. Kaylee and Marley got an incredible response and they realized they had a unique opportunity. Right away, cycling brands sought them out for creative projects and Marley and Kaylee started leading body-inclusive workshops and group rides. When we come back, Marley talks about making a short film in partnership with Shimano and how it launched the organization that is now her full-time job. Marley Blonsky is a size inclusion advocate in the cycling world, and she's also the founder of All Bodies on Bikes. Before it was an organization, All Bodies on Bikes was a short film directed by past guest Zeppelin Zrip. 
It features Marley and Kaylee Kornhauser on some epic rides. The film follows them on a bikepacking trip to the Oregon coast, and it shares their stories as cyclists in bigger bodies. The film is beautiful and it's fun, and it just hit home for a lot of people. After it was released in 2021, the project got a lot of traction in the cycling world. Marley and Kaylee were able to keep the momentum going and turn all bodies on bikes into an organization. Now, Marley has a few different sponsors, and she travels the country teaching classes, working on size-inclusive clothing lines, and leading group rides. So Marley, your career has really taken off since the pandemic hit. I mean, COVID is a weird time, but it had a positive effect on the cycling industry. Yeah, there was kind of a perfect storm of, you know, all bodies on bikes, the idea germinating, and then we filmed in the summer of 2020. But the film didn't come out until spring of 2021. And so there was like this 15-month period when this bike boom was happening. Kaylee and I were giving online talks. We were we have this class that we give um, called Biking for Bigger People, where, I mean, technically there's nothing different about a bigger person being on a bicycle. There's a lot of questions that come along with it. You know, clothing, equipment, how much to air up your tires, just giving people answers to their questions and the confidence to say that, yes, even though your body is different than it was when you were a kid, you can still get on a bicycle. You can still enjoy it. Here are some tips and some tricks. So we were doing those classes all through COVID. Um, and then once the film came out, it resonated. And I think unexpectedly, for me at least, the bike industry was incredibly receptive to it. And people were just like, talk to me. How do we be more inclusive? How do we do this? And so that was what allowed me to quit my job was all the interest from the industry. Amazing. Okay. So this movie really quickly, let's tell people what it's about. All Bodies on Bikes. It starts with a scene of you guys like riding bikes, like a cool, hardcore cyclist movie. Yeah. And then Kaylee falls flat (laughs) on her face and it's the funniest scene ever. Um, but it just keeps it so real and authentic. And you both have like the most beautiful laughs that we listen to all day. And you two are basically riding 60 miles. I think it is from Corvallis, Oregon to the Oregon coast, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's this trail that is one of Kaylee's favorites called the Costa Corvallis trail. And it's mainly off road on like forest roads and logging roads. And it's a really hard ride. I had no idea what we were getting into. Um, Kaylee was like, oh yeah, there's like a couple big hills. And what she actually meant was like, you're climbing all day one day and then you descend and then you climb all day the second day. But the production team that we worked with was absolutely phenomenal. I was really nervous. It was three very skinny, conventionally attractive men that were the filmmakers. And I was like, oh, my God, are they going to tell our story with respect and with dignity? And when I'm walking up that hill, how is that going to be portrayed? And our story was told with such... Uh, I think humor and dignity, but also like it wasn't trauma porn, which I think often, you know, stories of fat people becomes like, oh, we're tackling this epic thing to lose weight. Like it was none of that at all. It was like, we're going on this bike ride. We're going to have fun. We're going to jump in the ocean and we're going to be unapologetically who we are. And that's how it turned out. And it was, I'm so proud of that film. And it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there were moments I hated the ride, it was so much fun to film and to do. Marley's life right now is pretty interesting. She just moved to Arkansas. 
And when she's not traveling around the country, Marley spends her days working on expanding all bodies on bikes. Her goal is to have at least 10 new chapters by the next year and 20 new chapters by 2024. That way, anybody can find a cycling community. Building all bodies on bikes. Like, what do you hope to do with it? So our goal is community building, but our goal is also education and transformation of the bike industry. So, you know, if somebody walks into a bike shop, the shop knows what resources to get them, you know, how to talk to somebody about the weight limits on a bicycle, how to adjust the shock pressure on a bicycle for any rider, because there's so many things in cycling that are weight specific. And it can be a really awkward conversation, regardless of what size you are. So like educating shops on how to tell somebody, hey, this might not be the right bike for you. Let's find something else that's better. Or asking questions. What kind of riding do you want to do? Instead of just assuming that when somebody comes in, you know, because they're in a larger body, they want to just get on a hybrid electric bike. That's interesting. So yeah, what, what can shop owners say? Like if, if you come in and, and you're in a larger body, what should someone say to someone about like weight limits or gear? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it starts before that of asking what kind of riding do you want to do? What are your goals? What are your intentions with that? And then, you know, let's say I come in and say, I want to ride bike MS. Have you heard of bike MS? No. It's a big charity ride. Um, okay, and typically cool. folks will be riding, you know, 75 to a hundred miles. And Amazing. it's a lot of folks like entry point into the cycling world. For myself, that was how I started riding longer distances. And so, you know, you can say to somebody, hey, this bike has a weight limit of 250 pounds. Would that work for you? Instead of saying, how much do you weigh? You know, phrasing it, you know, if you're adjusting somebody's shock, um, you know, hey, here's a chart that has different weights on it. Which one would be appropriate for you? And so you don't ever have to actually say like, oh, I weigh 243 pounds or whatever it might be. Or having conversations in terms of safety, and explaining why the weight limits matter. So like, hey, this bike has a kind of low weight limit, like 220 pounds. It's meant for going really fast. And, you know, it could be a safety issue if you get on it and break spokes. Let's look at something that is more appropriate for the kind of riding you'll be doing. Smart. I love this advice. So you have a whole like amazing list on your website of resources, like things to say, how to be an ally. I I would like to know, like, how can I be And how can other people listening be better allies to people? Am I saying this right? Is it people in bigger bodies or to fat cyclists? How do Um, I say this? Yeah, I like the term people in bigger bodies. Um, It is. So the word fat, like we talked about, it's still so weaponized and personal for a lot of people that I won't use the word fat to describe somebody else until they give me permission. So I think just a safe way is people in larger bodies. Okay, so how can how can we be better allies to people in bigger bodies? Yeah, so a couple different ways. I think the biggest thing is using your relative privilege. So like regardless of who you are or what other privileges you hold, we all have some little nugget. So whether that's body size or color or um, class. So let's say, for example, you know, you and your friends are going horseback riding and you've got a friend with a larger body. If you, as a smaller bodied person who has no concerns about the weight limit, if you can call ahead and find out if there's a weight limit, because I guarantee you your fat friend is already thinking about it, Um, And just take on that emotional labor. You know, there's so many activities that we'll do as a group of friends that I think folks in smaller bodies don't even think about 
the restrictions or potential challenges that people in larger bodies will face. You know, if you are going boating, this happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, I'm going to bring my own life jacket because I'm afraid that, you know, what your parents have won't fit me. Listening to that concern and not diminishing it. I had my friend say, no, I think you'll be fine. And it's like, I've had that experience before where you get somewhere and the life jacket doesn't fit and nothing feels worse. But also like, you know, you can be an ally by spending your money with brands that make bigger sizes and, you know, tell them that you appreciate that's what they're doing. What brands are doing a good job with size inclusivity and just making good gear that you like? So I have to be totally transparent here. I am sponsored by Pearl Azumi and they are doing a decent job. You know, I think we're growing, or I say we, because we're working together to grow the size inclusion part of it. Um, there's some other brands that are doing good part, good things. Shredley, um, which makes mountain bike clothes, they go up to size 24, which is awesome. Machines for Freedom goes up to a triple XL, Velocio. There's a couple of other ones. There's a brand out of the UK called Fat Lad at the back. They go up to like a 6X um, and they've got some really fun prints. So it's growing and I'm sure there's other brands who you know, just announce things. Actually, um, Outdoor Research just announced a huge expanded size line in their ski gear, in their hiking gear. It's really the first one that has like a base layer to outer layer full line, which is so overdue, but so welcome. So what about bikes? What bikes do you recommend? Um, so again, I have to be transparent. I'm sponsored by Cannondale, but they I picked them because they actually do a great job with how do I want to say this? Regular equipment for bigger people. So like the bike that I'm on is their entry level topstone alloy. It's aluminum, but it's rated for 330 pounds, which is pretty awesome. Like that's higher than a lot of the industry. So Cannondale's doing a really good job. And then if you get over to any of the steel bicycles, so Surly, All City, any bicycle that's made out of steel tubing is going to be a whole lot stronger. And I think in general, the industry is recognizing that people are carrying cargo on their bicycles. So while they might not be intended for like bigger bodies, they are getting stronger because they're expecting people to carry kids or to carry groceries. So the e-bike company Pedego, all of their bikes are rated up to 400 pounds. And so I think in general, there's a recognition that not everybody wants to go ride like they're riding the Tour de France. You know, people are looking for strong bikes. They're looking for fun bikes things to just ride around the block with their kids and they don't need super lightweight, fast-as-you-can-go carbon. How did you decide to move to Arkansas? I just keep hearing that Arkansas is like this underground outdoor mecca. It really is. So I'm in northwest Arkansas specifically. And basically, after I quit my corporate job, I had this realization that I don't need to be in Seattle anymore. So I made a short list of qualities that I was looking for in a place to live, and I landed on either Portland, Kansas City, or Minneapolis, and then I had the opportunity to attend the Cyclocross World Championships in Arkansas. I went down there and was like, holy crap, this place is amazing. Did some research. Turns out there was an economic grant. Basically, they're trying to encourage people to move there. So I got a $10,000 grant to move there, and then that made my decision for me. I'm in a very small town. So Bentonville is maybe 15,000 people. It's growing incredibly rapidly. The Walton family, who the founders of Walmart, their kids are obsessed with bikes. And so they have invested millions of dollars into 
building up bike trails and recreation. And their goal is to make Bentonville the mountain bike capital of the United States. Good for you for finding it and for like getting up and moving to a new place. That's pretty bold. I did not anticipate how hard it would be, but I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and embrace this another wild idea that I had. Of, I'm going to move to Arkansas. <laughs> So you're busy, you travel a lot. I know you just did a long ride from Seattle to Portland. How many long rides are you doing these days? I think this year I have like 12 on the schedule, which I've never tried anything like this before. Um, But I've also never been sponsored. So most of my sponsors take care of the entry fees. They take care of the travel to and from and the lodging, which means when I get there, it's my job to usually ride my bike during the event, but I also am putting on clinics beforehand or giving talks and leading rides. You know, this month I'll be in Vermont at the end of the month doing a keynote talk, leading a ride, and then riding 75 miles. After that, we're going to Steamboat. There's a big gravel event in Steamboat, Colorado, and we're bringing a team of 15 athletes for All Bodies on Bikes, which I'm really, really excited about. A week after that, we go to Nebraska. So it's a lot of travel right now, too. Um, But I know that, or at least I kind of hope that the shininess of this is going to get old. At some point, I'm just going to be a normal cyclist. And there's going to be so many other people in bigger bodies riding bikes that it's not going to be a big deal. You know, the clothing's going to be there. The bikes are going to be there. And I'll go back to a corporate job or I'll write a book or do something. So for right now, I'm just kind of living in the moment and enjoying it because I know that this is not going to last forever. And my body probably can't do this forever either. Good for you for recognizing that. That's really cool. You're enjoying the moment. I think we can all learn from that. Totally. And none of us are granted tomorrow. You know, like I could, God forbid, get in a huge bike wreck and not be able to ride my bike anymore. Um, So I think we all just got to live in the moment a little more and embrace what we have in front of us and not put it off till tomorrow. Marley Blonsky, thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas Worth Living. Just hearing about your work and your perspective on life is so inspiring to me. You have great energy. Thank you for the work you do. There's a lot to be said for taking advantage of opportunities that are presenting themselves right now. If you want to learn more about Marley Blonsky and All Bodies on Bikes, visit allbodiesonbikes.com. The site is great. It's packed with so many wonderful resources. You can also check out All Bodies on Bikes on Instagram. It's written exactly how it sounds, A-L-L-B-O-D-I-E-S-O-N-B-I-K-E-S. If you're interested in connecting with Marley personally, her Instagram is at Marley Blonsky. That's M-A-R-L-E-Y-B-L-O-N-S-K-Y. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative. Our senior producer is Chelsea Davis, and our associate producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. And as always, we really appreciate it when you take the time to follow this show, share it with a friend, and write a review and rate it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.